Oh, yeah. Let's get this party started up in here. Whoop, whoop. Hey, this is Mark. You're listening to this show probably on your mobile device, whether it's iOS or Android or even Windows Mobile. <laughs> Who has one of those? Uh, but anyway, you're probably listening, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or some other wonderful mobile app that brings this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. Yeah. But did you also know that you can find this show, among several others in this category, at the Tangent Network? That's right. Go visit TangentBoundNetwork.com. Check it out where you can always get the latest episode of this and other shows quite like it. Although, admittedly, there is no show quite like this one. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, lion command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. guys welcome to adrian has issues today's guest i'm super excited to talk to i met him i would say roughly about a year ago at special edition nyc he is a freelance artist and he's also the senior artist at uh, double take comics and he's a really cool guy and i could not be more glad to have him on the show but please welcome stan show stan how's it going Pretty good. I have to say, um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster since I joined Double Take Comics. It's been almost a year now, and uh, I couldn't be happier. First and foremost, congratulations on that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We met, I believe it was Special Edition NYC at the Creator AfterCon. I think so. There was some drinking going on. It's a little bit of a gathering for comic creators or press. It was really fun because I, at that point, I never really had been to sort of an event like that. I was was a little intimidated because I'm thinking to myself, okay, everybody here works on comics. I'm really just a podcaster. And, you know, yes, I do work, you know, Mm -hmm. with comic creators, but yet I almost felt like, you know, oh, shoot, do I belong here? But talking to you and um, also uh, Jacob Barker, it was just really fun because you guys are just very relaxed and just, you know, you approached me as a person. And I just thought there was really cool because there was no pretense, you know, no elitism. It was very much like, hey, how are you? What are you involved in? And it sort of went from there. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's all coming back <laughs> to me now. <laughs> we were at a bar. I think it was Twins Pub. We were on Correct. the second floor. And there was this sort of alcove area where it was like four tables with sofas kind of all around. You were at one of the tables, and I think Buddy Scalera was at your table. Yeah, and it's so funny because we chatted with him for the rest of the night, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I both. And it really wasn't until afterwards, I'm like, oh, Buddy's a really good guy. And, you know, looking at his work, I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize that's like the, you know, Buddy Scalera. Like, I knew that name, but it was very cool because everybody was just so down earth and just really welcoming. The idea kind of started out of, uh, okay, from the year before. When um, my friend Jay Barker, um, Steve Petro, or Stephen Petrovelli, Johnny C, there were several people that were there. I, I apologize to you guys who <laughs> I can't. Your names are Luke, um, Ten Van Winkle. Um, there's one more guy, Chris. Yeah, there there was about seven of us. We were at a little pizza place, and that was the first creator after con. Just seven people sitting at a pizza place talking comics post uh, New York Comic Con. Right. And um, the year after that was, you know, really Jay took took the idea and ran with it. Uh, he worked with Carmine Street Comics, also with Buddy Scalera, to create this huge buzz for Creator AfterCon. And uh, it ended up being a huge turnout. So we were just happy that people came. Like if one person came, we would have been happy. But, you know, <laughs> you, Eileen, tons of people came and we were just shocked and just really happy that People could understand the feeling that we had, you know, a year before when we were eating pizza and talking about comics. That almost didn't happen. I hadn't even heard about it. And I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. But I was speaking with Victor Dandridge, uh, who's a former guest of the show and a really great guy. We were talking at the second special edition and it was after a panel. We were literally hanging out eating gummy worms. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, you know, he was like, oh, by the way, uh, some guys I know, like, they have this uh, creator after con, um, like, after the convention. And it was just really cool. And he's like, you should go. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, but that's for, like, you know, and unfortunately, after all these years, I still have that feeling, like, okay, comic creators are, like, at this level. And he's like, I'm not really a comic creator. But it's like, okay, but you have comic book guests on your show, right? And I'm like, yes. It's like, so you're technically a part of the industry. You're just as important, so you should go. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know what? Now, yeah, what the heck? Worst case scenario, they turn me away. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. We would never. And and I sh- and I, I shouldn't use the word we anymore because I've kind of stepped back from creator after con. I mean, it's really Jay's baby now. He knows how to run that show. I really like your story too about Victor. Victor's a great guy, and you know, thanks to Victor uh, for you know sending you our way. But um, it, it, it kind of actually reminds me of, you know, your thought about, like, you know, am I a comic creator? Okay, I'm not making comics. But there's all of these little niches where people can totally be an important part of the comic community. For example, you with your podcast. And then Jay, who, you know, he's starting to make comics and he's made a few comics. But his real contribution, in my eyes so far, to the comic com- community is creator after con. And that's something that, you know, even though I draw, like I could never have set that up, you know, and me like running a podcast, like forget it. <laughs> like <laughs> it just would not happen. And, and so there are these shoes that need to be filled all across the industry that have nothing to do with writing comics, drawing comics, editing comics or lettering comics. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I totally appreciate what Jay and you do and, you know, everybody in between. There's there's a place for everybody. And, um, you know, comics is just kind of the icing on the cake, you know. I mean, I feel like there are yet to be, like, several niches to be discovered in terms of even though I don't draw, write, or letter, or, you know, edit comics, how can I fit in? And the person that discovers the next big niche is going to be somebody. You know, and it's it's not like pigeonholing yourself into something that's already existing. It's really that thinking outside of the box thing. Even comics itself, it's like comics have these. Like, let's just say, like, you know, when you're making a comic, I, I, I've listed, you know, those those jobs, those comic jobs, you know, but there are jobs in between there that have yet to be discovered as well. And it's, it's just up to people to kind of experiment and um, not be afraid of trying something new and or being ridiculed because you will be ridiculed if you try something new in the comic industry. You know, everyone should just try new things, not be afraid, find people who, who will support you. Uh, you know, emotionally and creatively, there will always be people that will go against you. Right. I mean, everyone talks about how the comic industry is like all, you know, really nice people. But, um, you know, but let's be let's be honest, you know, the comic industry is just like any other industry. You're going to have all kinds of people and you will run across certain people who are great people, but not necessarily they don't have your best interests at heart. So it's really surrounding yourself with um, you know, people who, who have your best interests at heart and, um, you know, and just making sure to kind of, you know, keep bothering those people and, th- and thanking <laughs> those people along the way. You're right. There are a lot of different personality types. At the very least, you know, having a certain level of professionalism will carry you pretty far. And that's why I appreciated meeting you, among many others, was the fact that you treated me as a person. Matter of fact, I think we ran to each other again, I think, like, the next weekend at um, Eternal Con, because you had your table next to, I think it was Suli, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We spoke very briefly, but yet it was still very much like a, you know, almost like reconnecting as opposed to a, wait, who are you again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, I mean, it's all it's all coming back to me. Everyone out there, you know, don't take your memory for granted. It's, uh, it's slowly leaving you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, trust me, mine's already leaving me, and, like, I'll be 32 in October, and, like I said, that's why I'm so glad to have Eileen, because if it weren't for her to remind me of so many things, like, oh, my God, like, I'd, I'd be so lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, actually, you kind of reminded me of something, too, there, when you when you said you met me at Eternal Con, and it's something that's been on my mind. I've been wanting to put it into, like, a blog post, but it has to do with attendance. Like, you know, when you, you go to school, and they check your attendance, and it's such a big thing, you know. But I've been thinking about the comic industry as really rewarding people who have good attendance. And by attendance, I mean going to comic cons, 
going to like comic related events, just showing up makes all the difference. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to connect with you at Eternal Con if I hadn't shown up either with a table or just strolling around. It, it's crazy to think too that like as big as New York Comic Con is, how many people I run into that I know walking around. Like out of all the corridors you can twist and turn around in New York Comic Con on the main show floor or in Artist Alley, I run into people that I should never run into. I've run into people in huge, like, crowds of people at New York Comic Con. You know that big sea of people in front of the main show floor area? <laughs> yep, Like, absolutely. I've run into people there that I should I should not have run into, just because I shouldn't even have noticed that they were there, because <laughs> it's just so many people. But right. it, it, you just really have to just kind of just throw yourself into the sea of people, uh, into as many Comic Cons as you can, and just reconnect, reconnect reconnect, reconnect. You never know how the connection is going to take your uh, relationship with that person to the next level. You know, as a freelancer, you know, when I was just turning over every stone for freelancer opportunities, um, you know, it might lead to a job. It might lead to um, anything, anything under the sun. So, yeah, I I really like how you said about how running into me at Eternal Con was a good thing because that's just proof that the fact that I showed up led to, to something, something that I value. Sort of that thing of, as lame as it sounds, you have to be in it to win it. (laughs) You know, and I've heard so many stories from people. Like, I think about some of the comics I've read, whether it be indie or otherwise. And I'm saying to myself, wow, this is a great creative team of, you know, writers and artists and letters and inkers. Mm -hmm. And you're saying to yourself, like, how did these people get to me? And only to find out, like, when you get to their backstory, sometimes it ends up being like a chance thing of, oh, hey, we just happen to be at the same spot. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people that, you know, at Comic-Con I've run into, to it just happened to be like i ran it i wasn't even necessarily there for them mm-hmm. i was just talking to somebody at another booth and then someone just happened to show up that they knew yeah yeah to borrow someone else's phrase it's not my phrase but the universe kind of arranges these little meetups <laughs> you just be talking to someone and someone will just pop up next to you and they'll happen to be useful for your conversation you know, especially in Comic Con, I just want to say I don't know if it's just something. It's like what's whatever they release in the air at Comic Con, <laughs> but <laughs> it's that thing where it's like he's looking for a colorist. Oh, it's like oh, I'm a colorist. You know, it's like he's looking to be on a podcast. It's like well, I have a podcast, and here's my promo postcard for my podcast. And and when you really follow up on those opportunities, you'll find that that person who showed up with a, you know a promo card of what you exactly what you needed at that moment happens to be the only person who could do that job for you it sounds you know hokey a little but it's important and i think that's something that i think people really need to hear yeah but i've had it work for me so many times to the point where i believe it yeah i really believe that everything happened because of that moment you know and then you'll walk to another table and everything will happen because of that moment Yes, these things happen, but yet the fact that you are somebody who's approachable and who's professional and does great work, and that also carries too. The fact that you know you're also not only just meeting people and working on books, but you're also building a reputation. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's tough because what I really want to do when I go to comic cons is I really want to support the creators, you know, shelled out for the table. You know, they've created you know great product, and I, and I just want to buy everything on everybody's table. Yeah, I can't, you know, it's, it's just, it, it has to do with, you know, I don't have enough bookshelf space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have enough cash in my pocket. And it, it just sounds like excuses. There's, there's, there's a multitude of things that you can do to support creators. And I wish I could do it more, but you know, I know you say that I'm professional and that I do everything I can in the name of myself, but I just want to send a big thank you to all the people who have allowed me to stop at their Comic-Con table over the years, because um, a lot of it wasn't me being anything like a good person or, or, you know, being a really receptive person as supportive as as I could have been. It was really them, the Comic-Con table people who let me like stand at their table, who listened to my questions, who looked at my portfolio, who did everything right, you know, to help me either gain confidence, get a job, feel good about myself, (laughs) feel good about my life choices, you know? These people, like, they're there really just putting their best foot forward for everybody that stops by at their table. And I've tabled, like, a few times. So, really, I'm walking around talking to people and trying to make connections and all that. But um, I just really want to applaud all the Comic-Con tablers, 
all of them out there, even the ones I haven't talked to, but especially the ones that I have talked to, were being so hospitable. Right. It's being the awesomest people and just helping me in my career. And I you know, hope that I can help them in some way in the future. And it's really cool that you've worked with so many people and others that I've recognized. And uh, matter of fact, a couple of months ago, Jeff was on a show. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Jeff is like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't no, go ahead. <laughs> no, Jeff is really awesome. And I love the fact that you guys got to work together. Um, what was the book on um, Ben Bid, if I'm not mistaken? You've got a pretty awesome resume. I mean, for someone who, you know, you're very humble about it, but yet, you know, you, you've had a, a pretty impressive roster of creative that you've worked with. Yeah. I mean, it's really just blind luck. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I interrupted what you were going to say about Jeff Ryder. I think you were, you were on a train of thought. Ah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Working with Jeff was, was fabulous. I mean, uh, a Western werewolf story. I could not turn that down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going through my sort of horror kick in terms of art because I wanted to hit all the horror mainstays like, you know, Mummy, Frankenstein, you know, werewolf, Creature from the Lagoon, Invisible Man. Like, if you go back to the, what is it, the old Hammer movies? Is that what they're called? Yeah. There are the first five. And I think I just listed them. Werewolf, obviously, was you know one of the ones that I wanted to tick off my list. I met Jeff Ryder at Special Edition near Comic-Con. It always comes back to that. Like I, It's crazy. It always comes back to Special Edition for me. I think it was that first Special Edition that had some magic. Creator said, this list was 2014, I believe, right. the first uh, Special Edition. Yeah, and Creator said that you know sales weren't as good as they could have been. But for, for us ro- roaming around, um, it was one of the best shows I've ever been to. It was a comic book convention of old where it was just good people, good conversations. It was quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I know that that's very selfish of me. And again, I'm I'm just trying to, you know, ground myself in that is that, you know, I've I've been I've been selfish over the years because I've, you know, walking around and really just taking in what these tablers create for me. You know, I can talk to every single one of them. And for me, it's just every time I go to Comic-Con, it's just an amazing feeling. All these amazing people are here and, and they're accessible. I can ask them any question, you know, all of their best stuff is not, is there for sale. And I, I go home with just this incredible energy to create comics. Absolutely. This year, I've missed out on quite a few. I have two. Why is that? It's like there's something going on. There's something in the air. <laughs> <laughs> it must be. And, like, I really feel bad. And, like, as we record this, San Diego Comic-Con is happening. We should be there. We really should be there. <laughs> we should be doing this interview, like, on the show floor. Believe me, like, I would love to do that more. And it's like, that's why I ended up buying a uh, a major recorder so I can do that. And hopefully come next year, you know, once my ducks are in a row, you know, guns blazing, let's do as many interviews, yeah. you know, literally like pulling people like off of lines. Like, hey, do you want to mind talking to me? Cool. You don't say no. Let's let's do it. <laughs> and, I, and I've heard it on Good Word from Nick Marino, who's a, a writer and a friend, that Long Beach Comic Con is the quieter Comic Con that hasn't been like taken over by Hollywood. You know, that big Comic Con effect. Yeah. But apparently there's this Comic Con called Long Beach Comic Con that still has that sort of, you know, meet the creators. You know, this is comics. You know, when I first started going to Comic Cons, you know, New York was one of like the first really big ones I went to. This is no disrespect to anybody who goes or who runs it because it's a good time, but yet it's a different vibe from something like a special edition or your more local shows where you're right. It's more like meet the creator. Now, when I was just going as a fan, you know, yeah, it's like, it's absolutely cool, you know, to meet, you know, someone who's been in like movies or like a TV show, but <laughs> as somebody who I guess is a little bit more attuned to like, you know, your, your creators and especially your more independent minded creators. I like mm-hmm. the idea of having a space where you can converse with them where unfortunately you're not kind of like swept up in this large crowd of people who are rushing to maybe get to like a particular panel or a signing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm just older and a little bit more crotchety now where crowds <laughs> bother me. <laughs> There's a lot of people who read comics, whether you're either at Marvel or Image or even at like a, a really small press table, but yet mm-hmm. I don't think there are as many people who really know the ins and outs of what it takes to make a comic. You had a video on your YouTube channel that talked a little bit about doing so at a slightly mm-hmm. more, I guess, I want to say inexpensive level because, you know, making comics is, you know, it's, it's financially, it's a lot of money that needs to be put into it. Sure. So I'll, I'll try to summarize the, the general idea of that YouTube video. My feeling is that 
you know, when when you sit down to write a comic and then you set up your budget to, to make the entire comic, you don't know if you have, you know, the best possible product yet. But but what a lot of creators do is, you know, they'll they'll write the story and they'll rush to to hire an artist and then they'll they'll get it colored and get it lettered and then it's done and then and then they go and try to sell the book as a finished product. The idea behind my video was that, you know, don't necessarily try to create a finished product right off the bat. Make sort of these sketch comics. Most of your budget will go to the artist when you're making comics. So the idea is that for the cost of one finished comic, you can make three to four sort of sketch comics, sort of concept comics. Right. And then with those comic concepts in hand, you can still print those and you can still sell those. What you can do is then you can take that and kind of, you know, let people read them and kind of pass them around to your peers and everything and, and just kind of treat them as like these sort of spec comics and get feedback on how to improve your craft, get feedback on how to improve the story itself. Like if you're really set on, on how to make a story, you're going to need to rewrite and kind of redo it several times. At, at least that's how that's what I feel like. No, no great story ever just plopped onto a piece of paper and was suddenly great. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it, you know, you're going to need to rewrite and recreate and cut parts and then add parts and then kind of reread it all together again. So, yeah, that, that's sort of the idea. It's not jumping the gun and getting too focused on selling, not get too focused on creating this perfect product right off the bat. It's more about getting more volume of work done for less money and also kind of learning, you know, the kind of story you want to tell, you know, like if there's one month to a convention and you want to have something for your table, then you can, you know, make a quick sketch comic and then have that ready to show to people. You know, especially if you're a writer and you just want to be able to hand someone something that's not just words on a piece of paper. You can, you can sketch it yourself and just put, you know, the word bubbles there and still know if it's going to be a good comic or not. You know, you, you can you can do it with stick figures and still get a feeling for how the pacing is going to be. Now, if you have a little bit of budget to spend, not a full comic budget, but a little bit of budget to spend, there are lots of artists out there who are extremely talented and they're too busy to take on a whole new book, but they could take on a sketchbook. You know, I, I don't want to speak for all the artists out there, but some artists could sketch out the book at a very simple level in one day. Some might take a week. But think about the, the fact that you have a script that's been sitting there for five years and, and right. you, you know, you don't want to spend $2,000 or more to get it done right. But you could pass it to a sketch artist and have it done for $500 or less, you know, depending on you know, the quality of sketches that you want and, and, and um, you know, the, the quality of finish that you want. And then have that ready to read for yourself or have that ready to show to people. I'd be interested in hearing if more people would be interested in doing something like that. It sounds like a really interesting way to also, A, gain a little bit of experience and also learn how to work with other people. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that sometimes it takes a little bit of work to kind of get the product right where it needs to be. Yeah. And sometimes having a large project right off the bat could be pretty daunting, especially like you said, people can be busy. And if I know anything about comic creators is that there's usually multiple projects going at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's great, but yet... It also means that your time is very limited. So instead of necessarily trying to tackle this large project that may also, you know, stress out your creative team, yeah. working on something a little bit smaller, something a little bit more realistic. Yeah. So that way you kind of know what to do going forward. Yeah. And, and think of it in terms of like a week to a month or, okay, let's just say a week. Like you could finish your script and your sketch comic within a week. You sit down at a bar and you hash out a one-page comic together at the bar. <laughs> and um, I've done it. I've done it like a couple of times now. And it's worked. Yeah, we, we actually, we, well, we talk like we, like we normally do. You know, we just kind of start a conversation and then we, we start with one panel. And we both kind of write, and I, oh, I draw it, but I sketch it. And then, but one guy will, will start with the word bubbles and then I'll, I'll start sketching it. And then I'll start sketching it and I'll, I'll kind of get on a roll and just start sketching more. But then we both think about the like how we're going to do the word bubbles. And I do it in pen so I can't erase. Wow, that's actually so, uh, kind but, of... <laughs> but, yeah, at the end of the, you know, whatever we're doing at the bar, we have a page. And, and it, it, it captures a moment in time. So I, I date it and I write by Stan and so-and-so. I go home and I scan it so I can, you know, use it for whatever for I need to like post it on the web or something. But then I end up just giving it to the, the writer or whoever I'm sitting with. 
And that, that's an even more sort of distilled slice of the idea that every time you sit at a bar with someone, you could create a one-page comic. And not for nothing, that also seems like a really kind of fun warm-up exercise, even if you're not necessarily starting out, but just an idea to sort of keep yourself sharp. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know the guy Kim, Kim Youngus. Young Jungus? No, he I'm, does those unfortunately, incredibly huge murals, huge murals, like without making mistakes. Like he'll draw this incredibly complex scene. Like he's done covers for Marvel now. Wow, um, I'm sure you know him. I'm sure you've seen him on Instagram. Yeah, the name escapes me, but I'm sure I'll probably see a picture. And be like, oh snap! I'd imagine like my girlfriend will probably know who it is because when it comes to like art like that, especially when it comes to, like murals and things like that, yeah, like, she's yeah. definitely really in tune to that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, but but he he draws without making mistakes. So so yeah, when you said like it, it keeping your pen sharp, it's like yeah, that, that if you practice drawing with only a pen, you'll actually get better at not you know sketching away on your pencil line because you're you just want that you want to nail that perfect pencil line. But if you draw more with pen, you know kind of instinctively that once that pen line is laid, like <laughs> you, you can't change it. So it changes the way you draw. Like you draw more confidently. Or even it might even be just writing letters. Like if you write more letters, you know, um, with a pen and just get used to that, then you'll be better at not making mistakes. Ideally, <laughs> I haven't tested. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you next is the fact that, you know, we mentioned it very briefly at the top of the show is your work with Double Take. Yeah. yeah. So how did that all come about, if you don't mind telling that story? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so that has everything to do with Jeff McComsey. I worked with Jeff McComsey on his FUBAR anthology, By the Sword. And it was a story written by Jenny Wood called Born Again. And I penciled, inked, and grayscaled eight pages. And so I lettered, uh, I can't even remember which story it was. Let me pull it up. <laughs> which is funny that you mentioned FUBAR because I had read um, Jenny Wood's Flutter. Oh, you did? Okay. But I remember at one point, like one of the characters in her book is actually reading like a copy of FUBAR. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> And I was like, that's such a great callback. Yeah, I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts about Flutter. But yeah, so the story that I lettered was Onnabugeisha, which uh, is Japanese, and I can't translate that properly, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's in the same anthology, and I did letters, but I also, the pages were drawn at the wrong aspect ratio, because FUBAR is sort of a um, digest-sized. Yeah. Yeah, so the aspect ratio didn't fit because there were some full bleed pages that were done for your standard 11 by 17. And so I had to go in and kind of, you know, draw borders, anything that wasn't drawn to the correct aspect ratio. Like I had to like draw in parts of samurai swords, parts of like bodies on the side. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was uncredited for, for all of that. But, I, um, but, um, yeah, so after I did that, sort of uh, lettering slash art correction work. Um, Jeff was like, oh, you're looking for more freelance work? And I said, you know, um, who's not? Who's a freelance <laughs> <laughs> freelance work? I did a few tests for Double Take, animation tests. So they, they gave me a short outline of things that they wanted to see drawn and animated. And um, I got the specifications for the size of the picture to draw. I did a few tests. Bill Jemis, the, the general manager here, and uh, Mike Coast, uh, the story editor here, they liked what they saw. They brought me in for a couple of, you know, uh, in-house meetings. And then I did a few more, like, large animation sets or storyboard slash animation. And then the next thing, I knew, the next thing I knew, I was, uh, you know, working in a larger capacity for Double Take. He had showed me uh, a couple of the books, and it's a really cool concept. So I don't know if you want to get into a little bit of what, you know, your work as far as like the books you've worked on entail. Yeah, sure. So what we did was we took the um, Night of the Living Dead, the original, I believe it's 1968 George Romero movie. And we took sort of the universe that that movie created, and we've expanded that universe into 10 comic book titles. And some of the titles are directly using characters from the movie, and other titles are just offshoot characters that we created from scratch, imagining what might be happening, you know, in the midst of this apocalypse, so to speak. Right. Yeah, so that, that's the general line for the universe that we're building. It's kind of why we're called Double Take Universe. Working here, I get a real sense of, you know, we're not just making these sort of individual comic books. We're really making a universe and we're building characters. We're building locations. 
we're building situations, we're building props, you know, everything ties into this larger universe. And there's nothing that we put in the universe that couldn't affect something else in the universe at any given time. And we keep it like a really strict timeline. We put tons of timestamps all over our comics. So, you know, one person is there, you know, that other person is there. Or it'll be like, there's a gap from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. We haven't written a story for what this person was doing for those three hours. And we'll either write in something for what that person was doing for those three hours, like have them jump into another book and have them you know, do something significant in the universe in another book. Right. There's really no end to what we could in terms of we could take those three hours and make a whole graphic novel about those missing three hours. I love that idea a lot. The mastermind of all this really is Bill Jemis and, you know, in a big way, um, story editor Mike Coast. But they have this encyclopedic knowledge of this universe. And it blows me away every day how, how they can pinpoint how the universe is evolving, how one person's choice is affecting all these other titles at the same time. We've weaved like Washington, D.C., like the White House into a lot of these books. We're taking real people like we'll take LBJ, you know, we'll take Curtis LeMay, you know, we'll take McNamara, you know, and, and we'll just take these people and we'll, we'll, kind of get into their heads about who they were, what they were all about, you know, states rights, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> their take on, you know, whatever, like, I don't want, I don't want to butcher it. You know, <laughs> I, just, I just do, I'm just the artist. You know, but, um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're butchering it at all, but I just love the idea that as far as world building, cause it's something that everybody talks about now, you know, especially with the comic book climate being what it is now is everybody wants to create, you know, universes or these long lasting franchises. I don't see that many universes being created. It's not a knock on anybody. I mean, I know obviously we have the big, big universes and we know what they are. Right. But I want to challenge people to create a universe. And I'm not saying we do a good job. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like a person could make a small universe. And this is my idea for how to do a small universe is you could do a small universe in a 22 page comic. You could do three pages of different slices from a universe and just craft it in a way to what was that? Like, like three times seven. You could do seven titles, three page previews of each of the seven titles in a 22 page comic and preview your universe. Like, obviously, you know, you may not have the budget to finish all of those stories, but you can do a three page finite story. You could do a one page finite story. You know, a comic doesn't have to be 20 pages. And, you know, like, I'm sure you've read Future Shocks from 2000 AD. It's like every story is like three to five pages, and they're all really good. Right. And yet, so, the fact so you, that you don't have that yeah. many pages to deal with, it also keeps yeah. the story very tight, very, you know, concise, oh, yeah. and there's not too exactly. much in the way of meandering. Yeah. Yeah. And think of it this way, even right there in that 22 page universe preview. You have seven comic pitches in that one universe comic. Like, I, I don't know anybody that's done that. Anybody like you or you or me, we could sit down and, and, and just make a 22 page universe preview comic. And we've done that at double take. And, and I, you know, I, I feel like I've had this idea before double take did it as <laughs> kind of like a preview book for our universe. That's kind of what we did is, is we had, um, I don't know which came first. <laughs> It was like the chicken of the egg kind of thing. But I'm pretty sure Double Take. Okay, well, Double Take probably thought of it first. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like people could do that. I have seven pitches in this one universe book. Like, check it out. And just drop it off at lots of people's tables who are willing to listen. You know, publishers, you could drop them off at publishers. I, I just think that people could do that. People could be creating universes left and right. But usually what happens is you create the beginning of a universe focusing on one part of the universe. And then due to budget constraints and also just getting burnt out, you never end up making the other parts of the universe. But you could preempt all of that and just do like a preview universe. And you could end up with six universes a year. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, doing the math. I'm like, holy crap, that's you're absolutely right. And some will be god awful. Like they'll be god awful universes that you, you never want to be in. <laughs> Nobody will ever want that like universe comic. But if you just keep at it and kind of just keep honing that crap, then don't even produce them as finished comics. Produce them as, as sketch comics. And that way you don't need to spend the budget to, to, to make them all because you don't know if they're viable yet. 
So then that way, when you do, it's kind of like you've already sort of laid the foundation. So you don't necessarily have to start from scratch. Yeah, you've laid the foundation. And in a perfect world, and the world is not perfect, I understand that, but you could almost kind of just package it up and give it to a, a group of finishers. And they technically, I mean, obviously, you know, editing always comes into play, but they could finish most of the, the, the artwork and coloring without any help because it's all laid out in the book. And then some of these concepts are, are part of what Double Take is doing. And, and again, you know, it's kind of like I've, I've been thinking about sketch comics for long before I started working at Double Take. But I just find it interesting how Double Take hired me to do sketch work. And this, this is, this, I'm finally getting to answer your question, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, man. It, no, you're giving me so much great stuff. I'm like, just let it roll. This is what it's like to talk to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I tangent like a crazy person. But yeah, so, so I've been, I've been thinking about sketch comics. I've been thinking about doing inexpensive comics for years. And it just so happened that I got to cut my teeth a little bit with a group of guys called Straight Eight Photography, who might did sketch comic work for their book, Red Bloods. And all three books are, um, online free to read. But yeah, so I got to cut my teeth with them and I really kind of honed my skills doing my sketch work and grayscaling skills with them for three issues before working at Double Take. And then um, I got even more practice doing storyboards and sketch work with a movie storyboard guy whom I met on Craigslist. Huh. It's been like this slow steam train kind of building up, well, steam. And then this double take work has really just kind of rocketed me into honing my sketch work even more and just understanding the power of sketching as a tool to tell stories. The refining of the artwork is important. You know, obviously you got to finish the artwork, but you know, there's so much to do in the sketch phase that isn't thought about a lot in comics. And there are a lot of people out there who can get work as sketch artists, but they're shortchanging themselves because they think they need to be able to finish their pencils. You know, what I mean by finishing their pencils is doing really tight pencils, because that's kind of how the industry is teaching artists to be now is to take a pencil, which is a sketch tool. But using a pencil like ink, I'm not knocking that. That's worked really well for the industry. And, you know, the industry is doing great. So right. everybody, you know, continue as you are. But think about that for a moment. The pencil is not being used for its most powerful ability, which is sketching loosely. It's actually a good point. I got back into penciling with, you know, taking picking up a pencil and sketching more because I realized that I was shortchanging myself in terms of my pencil work because I thought that I, if I couldn't do tight pencils that I shouldn't be picking up a pencil. So I would do blue line work because blue line, it's okay to be sketchy. But with pencils, no, you got to be tight. You know, And so that's why I started doing a lot of digital work, working like completely digital, going from blue lines straight to inks. Right, and I just want to throw it out there, going back to your YouTube channel, you also talk a little bit of that in some of your other videos as well. With the comic book industry being what it is, and, you know, comics are now, at least to the world over, are now seen as a lot more viable to many than they did before. But yet with that, though, there's always room for improvement. There's always room for a growth. And yet the question everybody has is, okay, what's the next thing? And, okay, what's the... Where's the next step? And yet maybe that step that we're thinking is like this huge paradigm shift, maybe at least from the way you've described it, is actually a little bit more smaller of a step, but yet it's kind of a big one at the same time. It is not just, okay, what type of stories are being told, but it's also how. That's a beautiful segue into Double Take Comics. <laughs> so <laughs> I can either talk about Double Take Comics or I can talk about the shift that you're talking about in comics in general. I'll talk about both. As long as I remember both threads. That doesn't work too well with my brain lately. <laughs> That's okay. Like I said, whichever one you feel, you know you want to run with, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So with double take, it's how can I describe this? We feel that the mobile phone, the cell phone, is really an untapped market for comic books, I and mean, that, that's that's a given. Right. But the one thing that we really do different than other innovators out there is that our comics are vertical. So you're looking at your phone. You don't want to turn it sideways. It's a very unnatural thing to turn your phone sideways to do anything. Right. Unless you're holding it with your hands. But if you're on the train or most of the time you, you only have one hand free or you only want to use one hand on your phone. And so you can read our comic vertically. The problem with, you know, taking existing comics and converting them to mobile is that you have all these different shapes for your panels. And then you have to kind of cram that into a phone screen. That doesn't always work. 
So you'll end up with some zooming, some of the sides cut off. You know, you, you end up with, with some um, size constraints when dealing with the phone. Right. So our way around that was to have every panel the same size. Hmm. So that's where the animation comes. So when you tap your screen while looking at a mobile player, which is on our site and doesn't need an app download or anything, you just go to our website, you can tap to move our comic forward. And each comic is about 100 to 120 panels. So that's the basic gist of how we're doing our comics for the new age. Of course, you know, we take our stop motion, we we're calling kind of stop motion comics because it's like stop motion animation. We take our stop motion comics and then convert them into print comics with print layouts uh, that we sell in the comic book stores as well. Oh, wow. It's kind of like you're working a little bit backwards. And we're, we're exactly we're working backwards. And, you know, I've always been kind of a backwards kind of guy. <laughs> I, I, I just don't like to jump on the bandwagon. It's just the way I've always been wired. And when I came into this company, they were doing everything different. Everything you could characterize as weird or, you know, for some people, awkward or people, you know, for people who've been, been around comics for a really long time. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, what is that? But like that excites me so much in terms of being an innovator, trying new things, not being afraid of failure, not being afraid of people, you know, ridiculing you, just blazing a new path, taking blows, but keeping on moving forward and being part of something bigger than yourself. Like there's a point where you you as a freelancer hit a wall unless you start hiring assistants. But um, being here at Double Take, I'm part of something that's way bigger than I could ever create for myself at this point in my life. Right. And hopefully in the future, there'll be more opportunities to do something you know on a larger scale. But um, for for me right now, this is this is a prime place to learn not not only about the craft of making comics. Not only about honing my skills, improving my skills, um, not only about learning how to write, because I, I, you know, I want to learn how to write comics and, and Bill and Mike, they, they teach me a lot of things about writing comics. You know, changing the industry. There's a whole host of things that sitting in this chair allows me to do. I think at this point in the industry, we're kind of due for another shakeup, but, and I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way. It's just that, okay, you know, we've got this space, we've got a lot of attention. So, okay, so what do we do with this now? Yeah. yeah. How do you really tap into making this work in a climate that's, you know, like I said, is a lot more digitally minded. And I know there's a lot of people, the old guard, and this is definitely not necessarily a, a backhanded jab at them because, you know, I was one of those people for a very long time. It's, I didn't really think of digital being as something more than like a passing phase until I was proven very wrong. And mm -hmm. now that it's here, it's like, okay, how do you make this work? And, you know, not everybody, let's say, has, I don't know, an iPad or maybe a large e-reader where, you know, the comments already formatted. So yeah. it's like, okay, so you format it for the device that you already have. And as someone who does not have a tablet, who's pretty much like lives on his phone yeah. or, you know, that, that's music to my ears. Cause I'm like, Oh, thank God. Cause the zooming thing is something that became very problematic for me. <laughs> I've been reading entrepreneur, um, the, the magazine on my phone and they, they call those pain points. I think when you set out to create a service, you find pain points that um, a, a customer or a person is having. And you, by addressing those pain points, you, you create a service that somebody needs. You, know, you establish the need based on, you know, where a person is, quote unquote, experiencing pain. <laughs> so, yeah, so so that that just came to my mind. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's actually really cool. I never knew it was called that. We are hitting on a need that some comic fans out there are experiencing. The, the fact that comics are made for print and they're being jammed into cell phone screens. That is obviously not ideal. It's not yet viable for to take all of these super talented artists and have them draw a vertical comic screen yet, right? Like we're doing, right? Right. You know, like all the best artists in the business, they're still making comics the traditional way, and that's not going to change, at least not for the foreseeable future. So when does this change? When will people start drawing for the cell phone screen? I don't know if you've heard of Webtoons. Yes. Um, matter of fact, a couple episodes ago, uh, I spoke to one of the co-creators of City of Walls. Their book is actually a part of Webtoons. So Webtoons has a sort of scrolling upward format for their comics, and I definitely recommend everyone check it out. You'll see how the top creators on Webtoons have created a very unique kind of storytelling format that can only be done on Webtoons. 
I'll try to describe one thing that kind of blew me away. The comic starts out, and I forgot the name of the title, um, but the comic starts out with sort of, I guess, a sky shot or a shot of sort of like this post-apocalyptic city. And you're scrolling upward, and you just keep scrolling upward. And as you scroll upward, it just zooms in closer and closer on the city. And it ends up being this almost, I want to say, endless scroll that zooms you closer and closer in on the city. You start to see, like, you know, closer up on the buildings. You know, as you're going through the rubble, you, you see, like, knocked over, like, telephone poles. You see, like, overturned cars. And you keep scrolling and scrolling, you know, see dead people. And slowly it's zooming and zooming and closer and closer. And it's all new art. And at the very bottom of the super long scroll are the two main characters of the story. They, they appear like right at the very bottom, like at the very end of this first quote unquote episode. And they're sized, you know, nicely sized, you know, on the screen. You know, I, I hope I described that well, but that was an awesome experience for me because I had never experienced anything like that on a screen. And another reason for everyone to jump on Webtoons, and I'm promoting another app. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But they have a, a, an original Star Wars comic created exclusively for Webtoons. Sold. <laughs> and it retells the story of the original trilogy, done in a manga style. And that person is an expert Webtoon comics guy, because you'll see the techniques that he uses. Like, there was one battle between Obi-Wan, oh, well, not one battle, the battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, which I feel it was masterfully done using the Webtoons format. The reason I can talk about this so passionately, even though it's not our product, right? It's just that I'm fascinated by the digital landscape of comics. I'm not afraid to say that Webtoons blew me away, you know, with what they're doing. We're doing something different and our own stuff blows me away. And I want to see like, I don't know if you've heard of Stila, S-T-E-L-A. I don't even know if I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. They have like their own player coming out as well. There's another one, uh, 451 Universe. Yeah, I've talked to some guys on the show from 451. Oh, really? I've talked to Andy Ewington. Um, he was just on the show recently. And matter of fact, I've talked to uh, Stephen Francis, and I know James B. Emmett of 451 fairly recently as well. He's with the um, the comic imprint. What was it again? Oh, Wayward Raven. That's it. Yeah, Wayward Raven. That's it. And uh, 451, I believe, is run by Michael Bay. Yeah, like he's one of the founders, yeah. and that was kind of blew my mind because I'm thinking to myself, you know, like I know of his movies, but then what they are doing there is also something I think is also pretty interesting in terms of comic books and how they're presented. And yeah. I just love that, like, there's all these companies that are starting to come up and doing things, and you know, not even just necessarily doing something different for the sake of doing something different, but it makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're not like taking pot shots in the dark. We're actually. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually thinking <laughs> if there ever was a time where, you know, you're, you're innovating for tablets, you're innovating for mobile, it's now. Like, this might be that sort of five, however long it'll take for, for, th for the dust to really settle. This might be the time where, where those Amazon.coms are born, but for the comic industry, because the money's there. People like Michael Bay and Take-Two are investing money and a lot of money into research and development for the future of comics or IP development for creating universes. Comics are evolving in the digital landscape. And then kind of back to the point earlier about how comics in general are changing. I would like to see more sketch comics, you know, back to that point where people are learning to refine their stories and people are learning to share their stories more readily. Their magnum opus that's been tucked away for 10 years because they feel like it'll never get made. Well, you know, just make a sketch comic, you know, and we can see into people, other people's minds more clearly, you know, and everybody should have a comic. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds, we're all writers in, in, a, in a sense. We're taught from very young to, to write and then, and then we're absorbing more media than ever before. And I think all of us have these wonderful ideas and, and it might even be, I just thought of this kind of, but it might even be that it's collectively creating things collectively contributing something larger than each of its individual parts by feeling empowered to create what's on your mind more quickly without using as much money it helps to form that huge sort of creative body you know like everybody that goes to a comic-con probably has some kind of story in their mind they just they just don't know how to do it you know they don't know how to like put that onto a piece of paper in a way that they feel is acceptable but that's being stuck on the old paradigm of how do you make a comic right changing that mold, starting at, at the very sort of ground level of what's a comic and what's an acceptable comic. 
Yeah, it's going to take some time, but it's already sort of started. It'll just take some time as to people getting on board and really getting behind it. But like any other movement, whether it be comics or otherwise, it has to start someplace. Yeah. I I think it'll eventually happen. And, you know, it's not necessarily a matter of trying to take down anything else, but just showing that there could be just other ways for it to be presented. Yeah, yeah. Stan, I can't thank you enough for sitting down and chatting with me. I hope everybody learned as much as I did. And I'm so glad to hear that, you know, things with Double Take are taking off. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. By the time this podcast airs, uh, well, actually, I don't know when this podcast will air. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we're finishing up our number five issues of our universe. So we'll have five issues for each of our ten titles done very soon. And we're going to collect each of our ten titles into graphic novels. And they'll be on sale in the fall of 2016, so very soon. We're really excited to see what fans think of our graphic novel. All of our stuff is available digitally as well. There's previews for the first two issues of all of our comics free on our website, which is doubletakeuniverse.com. And so invite everyone to check that out. Oh, definitely. And we'll be around, so don't hesitate to reach out to us if you're you know, a penciler, inker, colorist, writer. We're hiring. We're looking for, for new talent. People who want to kind of try something different and be part of this new wave of comics, you know, definitely you know, reach out to us. You know, where can people interact with you, maybe on either social networking or otherwise? So I'm on Twitter as Artist Stan. I also have a YouTube channel, which you can find by searching for Stan Cho. I also have a website called stancho.com, and uh, I think that's... Oh, I'm on Instagram also, as Artist Stan, so definitely uh, check me out online on social media. Excellent, and Stan, once again, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting, and I, I had a lot of fun doing this, so again, thank you for taking the time out. Thank you so much. I, this may be my first official podcast interview, so... <laughs> really, and I, I hope it wasn't too stressful. <laughs> it was really awesome. You're really great. I would love to be back on again. By all means, the door is always open, sir. (laughs) Awesome. That's awesome. I'll definitely take you up on that offer. Very cool. And for everybody else, you'll hear all of my social networking information after the ending theme. But for now, that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors. Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com.